Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, today's topic may keep you up at night. I hope it doesn't, but it's something that every one of us needs to pay attention to. Imagine what life would be like for you and your family, in fact, for all of us, if suddenly the lights went out, no cell phone service, no electrical power, no furnace, uh, no uh, running water, and no food. But that's not all. Imagine if there were no functioning banks, no Internet, no way to use your credit or debit card, no gasoline for your trucks and autos, trains unable to roll, airplanes unable to fly, hospitals unable to function, and drugstores and grocery store shelves unfilled and empty. And worst of all, this disruption to our way of life could go on for weeks, months, heck, even years. And our great-great-grandparents, ancestors from the 18th and 19th centuries, would have been able to adapt. But what about us interdependent technology-driven folks of today? And according to an August 22, 2017 article by Brian Finch in the Wall Street Journal, a small but growing number of cybersecurity experts warn that we are only keystrokes away, as he puts it, from unmitigated disaster, and we're talking about the very real threat of a cyber attack. And my guest today, Dr. Robin Burke, warns that such a horrendous scenario is possible uh, should portions of America's computer networks or electric power grid be hit with a short burst of electromagnetic energy from the very type of nuclear weapon that North Korea has already tested or by a sophisticated crippling cyber attack. And God help us, should ISIS, Al-Qaeda, or a similar terrorist organization ever get their hands on a tactical nuclear device? In the event all the heat and power went off for a long period, how would your, you and your family react? In fact, what steps should you take to stay alive? And Dr. Burke rightfully uh, asserts that it's only prudent to start planning now for potential attacks on the systems we rely upon. And to become informed about cyber attack potential, Dr. Robin Burke is the ideal guest. She's a Ph.D. and an MBA, formerly in charge of the federal government's Defense Threat Reduction Agency's Independent Networks Research Team. She's a renowned expert on network science, former corporate executive and entrepreneur, and she also taught at West Point for seven years following the 9-11-2001 attack. She's currently a consultant, speaker, workshop leader, and scientist on a mission to guide individuals and businesses through constantly changing and uncertain times. And she's author of the just-released book, How to Thrive in an Uncertain World, and an upcoming book due out in 2018, We Don't Have to Collapse, But We Could, How to Fix the Complex Systems We Rely on. A timely subject, to be sure. And hello, Robin Burke, and we're indeed honored to have you with us today. Thank you, Roy. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'd like to begin by defining the problem. What's the real cyber threat, as you put it, and how likely is it to occur? How widespread would the power outage be? And the most likely scenario, how long would it last? 
Well, all of those are really important questions, and they're very difficult to answer. The reason that they're very difficult to answer is that a cyber attack could take many different forms. We've seen recently in Europe and elsewhere around the world so-called ransomware um, cyber attacks that come in and lock down companies and people's data and won't release it until a ransom is paid. Yeah, I've been a victim of that myself a couple times, believe it or not, yeah, <laughs> on a very small scale. But <laughs> it's, a, it's very serious. You know, it's a disruption of what we've taken for granted as yeah. the ease of using computers. And yeah. I was in Silicon Valley when this whole thing started, so I'm not exactly anti-computer. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I recognize some of the vulnerabilities we have. There's a second reason that there could be a cyber attack, and that is that um, cyber has now become an area of warfare. Yes. Not just the hacker teams, some of them entrepreneurs, as it were, and some of them funded by uh, various nation states. It's not just those hacker teams that are a threat. Um, Cyber has, in fact, become weaponized, and there's some strong evidence, for instance, that the Russians used cyber attacks in Ukraine last fall on the power grid there. Um, And the problem with with cyber as warfare is that it changes the sense we have of who's at war or or who is being attacked. You know, if someone drops a bomb... It may be anywhere in this country, for instance, we say America's been attacked, but your neighborhood and my neighborhood will not be directly affected unless we were right near the bomb. Yeah. With cyber, what happens is that infrastructures get attacked in ways that then ripple or cascade or avalanche across the country. Yeah, that's that's the uh, the power grid. It's a power grid and it's internet. And underlying this is another issue that came to light when I was managing some research grant work from the Department of Defense. The work was being done by very top scientists. And it was being done by the agency that's responsible for protecting U.S. infrastructure or modeling the effects on the U.S. of weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah, And that Heard of these attack, uh, like a nuclear weapon that goes off a little ways up in the sky and uh, knocks out power or something? Is there there's some kind of a way that they can do that theoretically? Well, what we know really exactly what we know is that nuclear explosions give off radio waves at different frequencies, yeah. and we know that in some of the nuclear tests that were done above ground before treaties were signed. Uh, to not do atmospheric testing, we know that there were pulses of what's called electromagnetic radiation, and that just means radio waves, light waves, at all these different frequencies that were unexpected. Now, here's the problem. We know that some of that electricity can damage electronics if it happens at the right time and place. That's why... uh, You know, when you go to buy a computer or you set up a home office or you go to work, there's a surge protector. Yeah. Right? You're told, put a surge protector on your computer because if there's a power surge because, say, 
a tree comes down on a, on a power line, yeah. and the power surges, that surge of extra energy can melt the electronics, can damage oh, yes. the computer. Yes, we all are aware of that, but uh, I mean, they make us aware of that when we buy a computer, you're right. Exactly. And so what the, the concerns we have right now are that we now have vast numbers of computers and electronics around us. There are something like over 200 little computer chips in cars these days. Yeah, that's right. Well, so and, it's not just um, lack of gasoline that would be a problem. There's also all these chips in the, in the cars. Right. That damage could be permanent. But nobody knows for sure. I mean, DITRA, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, has modeled the effects of various kinds of things on various kinds of systems. Yeah. Uh, but so much depends on exactly where it goes off, exactly yeah. when, yeah. exactly what uh, electronics are in the area, how much yeah. protection your house or um, other kinds of infrastructure might provide that would absorb that energy. But we know it's possible. Yeah. We know well, what's, that uh, cyber what's attack at stake is and what can you and I do uh, in the event of a cyber attack? What immediate steps should we take to survive the unavoidable uh, chaos that's going to follow? You, you Perfect mentioned question. in one of your promotions that there are some immediate steps we could take. Are indeed. And what we do is we build resilience into our day-to-day -day lives. I see. Now, how because do we do that? What we know from this new discipline of network science, the mathematics around how connected systems behave when they're under stress or attack, what we know is that when we have systems depending on systems and we don't have a lot of different backups around them, that place where they connect is very vulnerable. Oh, I see. If, for instance, there's a cyber attack on a power grid, that's going to affect the Internet because the power grid is used to keep power on the Internet servers. The Internet servers are used to send command control to the power plants yeah. for power distribution. So we have systems that rely on each other. And, and if we only depend on one way of doing that, we're in trouble. If we have some backups, we're in less trouble. I live in a place where we get a lot of snow and ice in the winter. If I only have one way to get across the small river in our area to get into town and shop, then I'm really vulnerable to a bad storm. Yes, that's true. If I have another way, even if I have to go out of my way 20 extra miles, if I yeah. know there's another way to get over to that town, yeah. I'm more resilient. I'm less vulnerable. And so let's think about what we depend on that a cyber attack or an EMP attack would affect. Yeah. Immediately, it would affect the power in our houses. Yeah would affect our information. Yeah. So I tell people, print out your address book from your computer. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, it seems like a silly a thing, right? We've all become efficient. We put all our information on the computer. Have a printed copy of your checking account register. Yeah. You know, have a backup system. Have two weeks' worth of food, some drinking water, 
know how you're going to deal with sanitation. You know, it's really funny, but a lot of people don't have have thought about all kinds of things for emergency supplies, and they don't think about what will happen if the municipal water supply doesn't work and they can't flush their toilets. Yeah, we had a lesson on that back here in the Des Moines area back in the 90s when the the power uh, the water plant was flooded and we were without water for about a week and a half. <laughs> we learned how to flush the toilet and do other things. <laughs> Make exactly. Do and you know water. what I tell people? There's a really simple first step for that. It's going to sound incredibly dumb, but it works. You go to Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace or your local hardware store and you buy a plastic five-gallon paint bucket and you buy a bunch of heavy-duty yard trash plastic bags, the black heavier-duty plastic bags. If you have no other way to deal with human waste, you can use that as a makeshift camp toilet yeah, that's right. And you're taking care of, and that's less than ten dollars. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I was able to uh, store up some water in our bathtub, and then every time we'd use the toilet, we'd dump the water in from the bathtub <laughs> into yes. the toilet, and that made it flush. <laughs> and I know people who have, um, I know people who have spas, and they use that water as backup yeah. water for flushing toilets or bathing. Yeah, that- I know people who have rain collection barrels, if they have a property and a place where they can do that. Yeah. Um, But the idea here is look at the things that you depend on each day and provide small backups. They don't have to be perfect. Yeah. You know, start by doing that. Start by saying, how would I do my basic functions in life or at business if things were badly disrupted for two weeks? Yeah, yeah. Two weeks is optimistic. I, sure, I've, of course I've it seen is. These but it's scary a scenarios where they talk about months or years. But uh, it's I, a start, right? So yeah. we start with that, and then the next thing I talk about, and I give an example of this in the How to Thrive in an Uncertain World book, yeah. and I talk about this with people when I give workshops yeah. um, at businesses and to civic groups and so on. Yeah. The next step is to look around you and say, what resources do I have around me that will add to my ability to be resilient or where I can contribute? For instance, do I have a neighbor who's a nurse? Yeah, that's true. To be a medic in the Army? Are they a source of first aid knowledge? Yeah. In an emergency, could they help me plan my emergency first aid kit? Yeah, that's such clear when um, or so so important that you say, "What can I do to help others?" Because if you're all just concerned with yourself, and um, it, it's so crucial that all the neighbors uh, pull together, and just like uh, they're doing recently in this crisis in Houston with all the flooding, that uh, you know people when yeah. they pull together they accomplish so much more and uh, there's so many people that have been willing to step up but uh, of course what and i worry ha- is that uh, you know that it goes the other way and people start raiding other people's houses to get <laughs> food or whatever that can and, happen yeah. and you know there are parts of iowa where i really would not advise looters to go no because you know the the same people who 
perhaps there are people in a neighborhood who do what my family did when I was uh, younger. Yeah. Times were pretty tough for us economically. We hunted and fished, yeah, well, and we were grateful for what we caught. That was our diet. Um, we were not a violent. <laughs> Every one of us knew how to handle a gun. Yeah. You know, but but and I know that there are a lot of people who focus on that sort of self-protection prepping. Yeah. Uh, what I'm focused on is understanding the resources you already have, and then extending that network of resources in selected ways that are most likely to get you to the goal you set for yourself. And that goal is going to be personal to a certain degree. For instance, if there's someone in your household or you yourself have medical needs, then planning for those medical needs is going to be an important part of your priorities. That's so true. You know, if you have pets, planning for them is going to be um, some priority. On the other hand, if you live in a city, what you can do in terms of storing extra food and water is somewhat limited. You have other resources. Yeah. Um, in, In my area, there are a number of small family farms. And like a lot of small family farms, they're under economic pressure. They're under competition, but what they have done to do well in normal times is to specialize in growing vegetables and fruits and providing those to restaurants. Oh, I see. You know, high-end, nice organic-grown greens, sweet corn, and so on. And there are some people doing grass-raised beef and other things. Now, those little businesses are not a place where I can go up with my credit card and say, I want two pounds of corn. Yeah. Except some of them have roadside stands, but but basically they're wholesale businesses. But what's going to happen to them if there's a really serious disruption from cyber or some other issue, a terror attack, whatever, right? Yeah. Their businesses their normal customers are going to disappear for a while, right? Yeah. What if I and my neighbors got together and formed a little buying co-op? Yeah. And we started making orders, small orders, on a small wholesale basis, like a small restaurant would, with some of these farms. We build that relationship now. Yeah, no, that's how that's can that show. farm and our group and our co-op help one another if there is a disruption? Yeah, we'll yeah, need. It's so it's so crucial that you make those connections with people around you, so you're not isolated socially or anything else. So that yes. in the event that something does happen, you have previous friendships and previous relationships that uh, you can fall back on. It's not like you're trying to force yourself upon somebody just because there's an emergency. So I love that idea. And here's a secret that a lot of people don't think about. One of the most important resources in rapidly changing times or in the event of a disruption is knowledge and information. Yeah. And what do middle-aged people have that they didn't have when they were younger? They have knowledge. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, a lot of it's stuff, too. 
<laughs> well, I mean, think about it. Um, I have a friend in my area here who grew up on a working farm. She yeah. doesn't farm anymore, and she's getting a little older, so she's not going to be out there raising her own vegetables very no. much. No. But if there is anything you want to know about how to get a serious garden going in our area, in our yeah. climate, and our soil, she knows it. Oh, that's a very good point. She knows point. what varieties of things grow. She knows yeah. how to till the soil, right? Yeah. What a wonderful trade. Yeah, and you, know, uh, you might the younger have, people uh, who don't have that insight, and they you can might trade. have a capability in maintaining a family budget or doing some things that the younger people that are real cyber smart aren't that good at, <laughs> you know, managing yes. the family budget or doing something else. That, uh, so you may have exactly. skills to trade back. So when we look around at our resources and we say, okay, what extra little resource can I add that will help me be resilient when something unexpected and out of my control happens. Yeah. Right? We can look at people as information sources. We can look at each other's skills. Yeah. And we can and should do things like have a first aid kit, have two weeks' worth of food if we possibly can afford it, keep backup medication, you know, talk to the doctor uh, about that. Um, I had a damaged knee a number of years ago, and I'm still oh. taking Celebrex for some osteoarthritis oh. that resulted, you know, when I walked funny on the damaged knee for a while. Oh, I see. Um, you know, so you talk to your doctor, you put those things together, and you prioritize. And what, what usually causes people to freeze, Roy, is the uncertainty of what on earth am I supposed to be planning for? That's exactly now, right. How do I do that? And that's what my Check Your Connections method is all about. Yeah, I was just going to get into it. You have a brand-new book on this uh, Check Your Connections, and uh, actually you have three separate versions. Uh, tell us about the three versions of your book you have. Sure. The Check Your Connections um, initiative is about how to understand the resources you're connected to, evaluate your network of, of resources, and then use that evaluation to plan the best next steps for achieving your goals, which include things like surviving a major disruption. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. So, and you have um, what? Thri- how to thrive in an uncertain world. Is that for a- Individuals or for everybody? or uh, you, For everybody. All... The first book, it's the introduction to the method, and I use two kind of case studies, two stories. One is of a couple with smaller children who are trying to figure out how to plan for uh, a weather or terror attack or some other oh. disruption That's... on a limited budget. Yeah. And the other is an example of a corporate executive. Oh, I see. Uh, facing a change in market. Yeah. So it's not all just about cyber threats and any kind of threat, really. And you then have the Business Owner's Guide to Thriving in an Uncertain World. That's specifically for business? That's for small and mid-sized business owners who um, face particular challenges that are different from the challenges of larger corporations. Oh, I see. So this is for small and then the, and, the and then the how to students the um, how to thrive 
book for students is aimed at students and anyone else who's inventing or reinventing a career and trying to say, how do I plan a career when the world seems to change right out from underneath me every couple of years? Yeah, that's a, well, that's a great uh, subject for our sons and daughters who are either in high school or college because uh, there's so many yes. challenges. The book will be available. Um, we're, we're targeting for it to be available early in December for purchase for Christmas or the winter giving season. I see. That's the student guide? That's the student guide, and the business yeah, guide will that, be out in uh, late January. That will be a good uh, winter vacation subject for the students <laughs> if they get it out before. Uh, I hope you... so, because, you know, I managed when I was, when I was um, working in other organizations, I managed millennials and a few of the oh, post-millennial um, yeah. generation who are just now coming into the workforce. Yeah. And well, many of them a, are good people, but they don't know how to get from here to there. They don't know where there ought to look like. Yeah, that's so true. They don't teach that very well in schools, you know, with all their academics and computer subjects and everything, but uh, just how to adapt, and uh, those are something you really have to learn on your, your own. Adapt is a key word, Roy, because one of the things I say in the How to Thrive book and the reason for the Check Your Connections method, the whole initiative I'm doing in putting this out there, is that we are facing very rapid change technologically, socially, economically, and what that is doing is creating so much uncertainty and confusion that it becomes very difficult to plan. Yeah. And so what we need we don't want to throw away all of the business and planning skills that were developed over a long time that I learned in business school yeah, and so on, <laughs> right? But on the other hand, we need to figure out how to use them in the context of this very rapid change. Yeah, yeah and everything's so flexible right. now, and it's not like it used to be with a – Command structure and everything else in place, and uh, you know it's all by That's tradition. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And and not only is it not the same in terms of how organizations work, the expectations of the rising workforce are different. Yes, that's very true. And there are mismatches between corporate culture and their employees. There are mismatches between corporate culture and what's happening in the markets as a result of yeah. all of this change. Well, and, do you have what, a website where uh, our listeners can go to to find out about those new books and find out about your speaking and, engagements and, uh, you know, get in contact with you if they'd uh, like to have you as a consultant or a uh, workshop leader? Where, where should people go for that? People should come to my website Check your connections, plural, all one word, checkyourconnections.com. You can learn a little bit about me and the initiative. There's a free report called How to Get from Here to There Even When the Bridge Washes Out, which you can uh, receive in exchange. People used to need that, I think. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's a real issue, right? And it's yeah. it's a nice little metaphor for um, for larger issues. I promise people I don't sell your address. I don't spam. 
Yeah, well, that's uh, great. Just in touch with me. There is a contact form if you have a question that isn't answered mm. on the website. Uh, you are encouraged to contact me there. I do come and speak to civic groups and do workshops. Um, I'd love to hear from all of the listeners about their interests and concerns, and I'd be happy to come and talk in in very specific detail about what you all can do to meet your goals in this rapidly changing world where we do have threats like major cyber disruption. Yeah. Well, it's clear from our conversation today that the cyber threat to our computer network and power grid, indeed to our American way of life, cannot be taken lightly, either by no. the federal government or by you and I as informed citizens. And a nuclear attack or a, a cyber attack can devastate one or more cities is unthinkable. And so is a devastating cyber attack that suddenly plunges us back into the 19th century, but without the power tools and the home farms and understanding. In contrast to the mid-century, uh, 20th century Cold War nuclear setting, where we had two giant armed superpowers, USSR and Canada, or China, excuse me, Canada, sorry about China to contend with, our country now faces a potential of preemptive attacks on critical infrastructures, limited nuclear exchange, uh, you know, God forbid nuclear acquisition and attack by non-state terrorists like ISIS. And unfortunately, as tactical nuclear and cyber weapons expand, the threat becomes even more likely. But it's not just nuclear and uh, everything's disrupted these days, it seems like. And worldwide disarmament is a worthy goal, but at least in the foreseeable future, it doesn't seem like a realistic possibility. An individual, we may not be able to do much to uh, at all costs prevent the unthinkable, but most certainly uh, we can't keep our heads in the sand and ignore potential problems and change, and uh, that's why I would highly recommend that uh, you preview uh, Dr. Burke's uh, new book, and, and what's the name of that again? The one that's uh, the new book out. is How to Thrive in an Uncertain World. Yeah, that's great. And you don't uh, have to just survive; you can thrive despite all this change and threat. Well, that's wonderful. I highly recommend you take steps right away to uh, heed Dr. Robin Burke's advice that she gave on uh, getting those backup systems in place and checking out where uh, what, what knowledge you have and where you could get additional knowledge. I think those were excellent ideas. Go to her website and get in preview and purchase her current book and her um, 2018 book when it becomes available. And what was the name of that book you have coming out next year? Because that one really sounds... <laughs> the book that's coming out next year is called We Don't Have to Collapse, But We Could... Yeah. How to fix the complex systems we rely on. Yeah, that, that's a, certainly a timely subject. And once again, Dr. Burke's website is checkyourconnections.com. Is that right? That's correct. And thanks to me and Dr. Burke for your wake-up call. And uh, I won't lose sleep. Instead, I'll get down to uh, planning what I would do in the event of the unthinkable because I don't think anything's unthinkable these days. And best of success with your new books, your workshops, your uh, speaking, and all the other uh, worthwhile ventures that uh, you're involved with because they're certainly uh, what's needed today to get us uh, woke up and, and advised to how to deal with change. Thank you, Roy. Take care. Well, my guest today, Dr. Robin Burke, certainly woke us up, talked about the necessary but highly upsetting threat of a cybersecurity attack. 
And as Dr. Burke advises, we need to keep aware and on top of the situation to protect both our families and our country as a whole from this very rare threat. But it's kind of depressing, isn't it? And I'd like to end this program on a more positive note. And as you may recall, over the past several programs, I have been summarizing highlights from an August 2017 Mayo Clinic Health Letter Special Report on staying positive with AIDS, something we certainly want to do throughout middle age and beyond. And today I'd like to uh, conclude these reports by summarizing Mayo's advice to change what you can, as they call it. You know, gracefully accepting the changes that come with normal aging doesn't mean that you have to give up on maintaining your health or your positive outlook on the future. Uh, normal aging and disease are distinctly different. Always keep that in mind. Your body is going to naturally change with age. We obviously aren't going to look 20 in our 20s forever, but that doesn't uh, have to lead to disease or depressed attitude or lack of self-confidence or belief in yourself. You know, when you cut through the jungle of health advice that's out there, the best way to maintain health and vitality are surprisingly basic. Research shows that the greatest gains in mental and physical health, both those and in lifespan, can be had by following a few straightforward tips, as Mayo explains. The first one is to maintain healthy weight. You know, health problems such as type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, some types of cancer, sleep apnea, osteoarthritis, all these are linked with being overweight. So why would anyone want to be overweight? And since most people gain weight with age, it's important to keep an eye on your waistline and your body mass index. You know, a couple of extra pounds every year may not seem like much at the time, but they can certainly add up. So focus on maintaining a healthy weight and commit to making it happen. Be serious about it. And you know what? You'll feel a lot better about yourself, how you look, how you feel, just everything in general if you have a thin and energetic body. Second, get regular physical activity. Research suggests that people who get regular exercise live longer and better, even when it's not associated with weight loss. Staying active can also help you to continue to do the things you enjoy and to stay independent, which means you're less likely to end up in an assisted living or a skilled nursing facility. And I'm not just talking to people in their 70s or 80s because, you know, if you start uh, that healthy habits in your 40s and 50s, you'll stay out of that nursing home later. And a well-rounded physical activity program includes a minimum of 30 minutes a day of exercise. Not too much to ask, is it? And that can be such as walking, uh, nothing strenuous necessarily, swimming or using a machine at a health club done at a moderately intense effort level. In addition, balance, flexibility, or stretching exercises and strength training add resilience resiliency and stamina so that you can do the things you want to do. And I'm not just talking to senior citizens. Exercise is good for those of us in our 40s and 50s as well. Eat a healthy diet. Need I even mention that? A healthy diet can help you maintain a healthy weight, 
but the food choices are important in other ways, too, according to Mayo. Eating unhealthy foods can increase your risk of some diseases. Eating well can help protect you from age-related problems. A healthy diet includes a foundation of minimally processed plant foods, including fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, berries, whole grains, and healthy oils, such as olive oil. Also, keep food portion sizes under control, especially if you eat in restaurants and the ridiculous portions they give you. And uh, if you eat those animal-based foods, emphasize lean protein sources such as fat-free dairy and lean unprocessed meals such as chicken and fish. And here's one that's not even worth mentioning. It's so obvious. Be tobacco-free. We all know there are clear benefits to stopping tobacco use, no matter your age or how long you've smoked. And drink alcohol in moderation. And if you drink alcohol, limit it up to one drink a day for women, you women of all ages. But here's good news, only for men older than 65. So if you're under 65, you maybe can have two or three drinks a day, according to Mayo. I don't know why that is, but that sounds good to me. Seek regular health care. This can help ensure that you're getting the screening test and preventive care that you need before anything gets out of hand. And one of the neglected secrets of maintaining a healthy weight and a healthy attitude is staying ahead of the triggers that cause you to overeat or to avoid exercise. You know, whether it's a bad day at work or yucky weather outside, there's so many reasons why we skip uh, workout that day. Uh, Becoming aware of these specific cues and having a plan for dealing with them is key. That way you don't have to rely on your willpower in the moment. And if you eat when you're bored, try distracting yourself with an alternative activity, such as going for a brief walk. Take old Fido out for a walk. He he or she will appreciate that as well. And having a small uh, snack before grocery shopping can make you less tempted to buy unhealthy foods. I never thought of that. That's a good idea, isn't it? And create meal plans and fill your fridge with fruits and vegetables. You don't need to fill it with cakes, pies, and the covered with pretzels. And for many people, TV is a trigger that can both affect both diet and exercise. We all know that. Mayo says if you're going to watch TV, do strength training or balance exercises during commercials, or better yet, exercise all the way through a program. Now, I'm not quite up to going, uh, doing exercise throughout a three-hour and 30-minute NFL game, but at least don't eat while you're watching TV because it can lead to mindless snacking. I know this advice from Mayo is nothing new. It's merely common sense. But keeping your body trim and energetic um, will make a world of difference in both your physical and mental well-being, whether you're 42 or 72. You know, you know uh, we always say middle age is around 40 to question mark, question mark, question mark, because some people are still young and in middle age at 80. As we often say, it's very difficult to enjoy life to the fullest and to contribute your best in a 50 to 75 pound overweight body. We all know that. So don't let weight and sloth creep up on you a few pounds at a time uh, because you will gain nothing from it and lose everything. And that's our program for today. Don't forget to preview my book on midlife renewal, including health and exercise, a midlife challenge wake up by Roy C. Richards. 
You'll find it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and on our website, middleagerenewal.com, and it's available both in print and in electronic form, so it's very easy to get a hold of and not very expensive. And that's our program for today. Talk to you next week on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 